Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. Tonight, we've been working our way through the construction plans, really the blueprints that God has given for the tabernacle. The importance of the tabernacle is that God wanted to dwell with his people. He's called out these people. They're his own people. And he's going to dwell with them. And so the tabernacle is the mobile sanctuary, if you will. It moves. It moves around. So remember how it was built with all the rings and the loops and everything so that everything could be bound up, carried uh, by the people as they wander through the wilderness. They're going to have this tabernacle, the very presence of God or his, his dwelling presence right in the middle of their camp there. That's what we've been looking at. Uh, for the past, I don't know, couple of months now as we work our way through uh, Exodus. We've looked at the articles inside. Today we're going to look at some more of the articles that are inside the tent uh, walls. There's the outer courtyard. Then there's the uh, tent of meeting, it's called. The technical name is tent of meeting. It's divided into sections. There's the holy place where as you go in, there's the three articles there. And then there's the veil that separates the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. So we're going to look at the, the uh, uh, altar of incense, which is right outside the veil. This would be a place where the priest could go on a daily basis, and uh, the priest was, was making sure that the menorah, the, the candle light in that room was lit every day, had oil. The showbread, table of showbread was there, and weekly, remember, the priest would eat it and replace it with new bread. And then this, this uh, uh, altar of incense, those are the three items in, inside. And then in the Holy of Holies, all there was was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubim uh, inside there representing the presence of God. So we're looking at the articles of uh, inside the tabernacle. They all have very a great significance in that they picture Jesus over and over. The, the, everything about the tabernacle really pre-pictures Christ, and, and that's the beauty of this. That's what I'm hoping that you see as we read this Old Testament uh, portion of Scripture here. But this particular article, the altar of incense, represents uh, this prayer that goes on night and day. It, it represents a continual offering a prayer that goes to God. It's, it's a smoldering, beautifully scented, aromatic uh, incense that's, that's flooding the interior portion of that, that uh, tent of meeting. And, but it represents these prayers going up to God. Just as Jesus is our intercessor right now, he's in heaven. What is he doing? He's praying for who? For us. And so it, it pre-pictures Christ, and we're, we're going to look at that, and the lava, where the, the, the bronze lava outside in the courtyard where uh, the priests would wash before they went in. So those are the things we're going to look at, and a couple other things, interesting things here in this chapter. Let's ask God's blessing on his word tonight. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the record, the history, all that your word teaches us, uh, especially since Jews around the world tonight are celebrating. They're celebrating this highest of Jewish holidays that we're looking at the initiation of here in, in Exodus, when the high priest walked into the, the Holy of Holies and, and uh, shed the, or, or spread the blood on the mercy seat. Lord, this wonderful holiday for the Jews, and we get to study it kind of 
play-by-play. I pray that you teach us as your people. We're not Jewish. We don't understand it all, but, but there is so much significance in the text tonight and how it pre-pictures Christ in so many ways. And so, we, so we're thankful. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we start here in verse 1 with the altar of incense. And it's interesting, when you, when you kind of put all of these chapters together, they don't really go in any order. Some believe that this chapter was kind of a parenthesis thrown in, but I don't believe that at all. As we read through this and see this particular article, uh, this, this altar of incense, you're going to see its significance and why Moses brings it to us at this point uh, in this narrative here, this uh, book of Exodus. Verse 1 of chapter 30 says, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top besides all around in its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures. Uh, I think it's always helpful for us to see pictures, and we kind of threw these together. But this is the, the basically just a, a rendering, a picture of the outer wall, this, this uh, uh, beautiful screen, um, there's a lot of significance in that. I won't go into that tonight, but down in the lower, your lower uh, right-hand side, there's the first veil. You'd come in, and there's this little cow. You see the bowl there for sacrifice. And then that first item that you see there is the, the altar of sacrifice. And it was pretty large. It was a square uh, uh, bronze-covered uh, article that it, it's very large. There, there's going to be a lot of blood around there. There's going to be a lot of cutting and, and butchering uh, and a lot of burning and smelling, and it's just kind of interesting. I want you to get the picture there. They show a little bit of smoke there, and maybe at different times it would be smokier. I don't know, depending on the wind and, and, and all. And then beyond that is the bronze lava there right in front of the tent of meeting. You see it there. It looks like blue there, like there's water in it. And then, oh, I got this pointer. I guess I'm supposed to be using this. I don't know if you can see this or not, but see, that that's the bronze lava. So you come in through the first veil. You bring your sacrifice and sacrifice at the, the altar, sacrifice. Then the priest would wash here, and then they would go through the second veil into this space, which is... The, the, the tent of meeting is divided in two sections. You have the outer veil and the inner veil. And then the th- these different items in these articles we'll talk a little bit about tonight. The, the altar of incense is right there, very close to the veil. And behind the veil is where the presence of God was. He was his presence was in this, this, behind this veil. And only one priest, one time a year, had access to go beyond that veil. And that's on the Day of Atonement, which is today, actually yesterday. It started yesterday at, at, uh, on the 18th at sundown. And remember, the Jewish day is sundown to sundown. So tonight, when the sun went down, right now, Jews are partying like you wouldn't believe, right now. 
It's, it's a big party. They're eating. They're, they're, the fast is over. They fast for 25 hours. So they, they kind of ate dinner last night. Then they started this fast. It went overnight. It went all day today. Um, a lot of Jewish lawyers don't work today. I found out that's why a lawyer friend of mine wasn't working this week. I asked him why, because the other lawyer's Jewish, and so it was like, can't work this week. This is Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement. This is, this is big stuff. You have Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, which was this weekend, and then this uh, particular Yom Kippur. Those are the two highest holy... Wait, I mean, Christmas doesn't happen, right, for Jews. It's the New Year's and, and uh, Yom Kippur, which is celebrated now. In fact, they're just going crazy right now. They're partying. They're eating after, after their fast. They're having sweet, sweet food, lots of sweet food. They eat. It's really interesting. You can look that up and, and dig deeper into that. But, but that, this, uh, this, oh, that was interesting. Does that work better? I don't know. Anyway, so that's the veil, and there's the, the um, uh, inside the Holy of Holies there. So... We're going to look at outside the court, but I just wanted you to kind of get an idea of what's going on there. Um, until the uh, bull, the, the goat was offered, uh, then the priest would go beyond that altar, that first altar, then he would wash, and then he was able to go beyond that into the Holy of Holies clean. That's kind of the idea there. But uh, uh, let me just talk a little bit about this altar of sacrifice. Again, the big altar outside where the bulls would be and the goats and the, all the different animals would be sacrificed. A very, very large, large uh, item. And I think I've got a picture of that. Oh, that's the inside. I should have shown you that earlier. So I, I guess I don't have it. You can go back to the other one. That's the incense. We'll get there in a minute. So anyway, we have this, the court, and then we have the uh, altar of sacrifice, and then we have the um, altar of incense. So go to the altar of incense picture. That would probably be the best one. The altar of incense uh, no animals are sacrificed there. It's very small, as you can see. It's a two cube. It's one cubit square. A cubit is what? Remember, forearm, eighteen inches. So it's just a little teeny box set double its height, and then it has the rings and the poles as as is depicted there. But uh, there weren't any sacrifices that were put in that. Only the incense was put in there. Um, there's this little cloud that's burning all the time, this little cloud that's forming and, and going up to, to heaven. So in verses 1 through 5, we get the size and the shape of all of that. And the, the, the idea here is the prayer. It's, it really depicts prayer. Prayer is going on continually. The, the continual burning of this offering, uh, this incense, very aromatic, very sweet-smelling that was going on all the time. And this altar of incense obviously is one of the smallest altars. Notice the horns there. Each corner has a horn on it. Again, the horn is symbolic of power and of strength. Um, I was thinking about the, the incense representing prayer, the horns representing power strength, and how much power we have in prayer. Do you pray? Do you seriously believe that you're praying to the God of the universe that has ultimate power? Because if you do, that's really what this picture of this altar of incense represents. The prayer has power. As you and I pray, we tap into a mighty and powerful God. I, I really believe that 
most of us, uh, we quote the scripture, a fervent effectual prayer of the righteous man avails much, but do we really fervently and effectively pray? Do we really believe in, in when we ask of the Lord? And I, I think there's something said there on this small little altar with the horns that, that speak of its power or the strength of God. Again, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, again, if I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything and they ask, it's going to be done for them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to answer your prayer? Uh, we as God's people need to understand that. We need to fall on our knees before the Lord. We need to uh, come before the Lord with our requests. I, we've been praying for Jeannie Sue. Um, you know, she, she's had this condition in Mexico, wasn't able to get the doctor's help. We, it she was way behind in terms of diagnosis and therapy and, and help. I mean, a couple of years by everyone's estimation. So she comes in two years late with this uterine cancer and she has surgery. The new kind of orthoscopic surgery, you know, is not as invasive. She was out the next day. She was in church last Sunday. Coincidence or prayer? I believe the pr church is praying. I believe that my prayer and your prayer, asking on her behalf, has done a wonderful, wonderful, powerful work. And we need to come to the Lord with that kind of power and intercession and believe in our God. It's our God who can answer our great prayers. And so prayer is mighty and we need to use it. But that's what this incense represents, this continual burning and this prayer. Notice in verse 3 there, it says that this altar of incense has a crown. Really, it's, it says around the top of it, it says overlay its top and the sides with, uh, with the horns with pure gold and make it for a molding of gold all around. So there's this crown, this crown that goes all the way around this little square box, the top of it, kind of like a, a crown, a priestly crown or representing the authority of God. This is God's authority here, uh, the God of heaven. Uh, our prayers go to him. The incense goes to him. It rises from this box, this altar, up to the Lord. And then verse 4, the rings, again, so that it could be carried because it's a mobile tent or mobile sanctuary. In verse 6 through 10, the ministry of the altar. Notice this, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, and notice this last phrase in, in verse 6, where I will meet you, where I'll meet you. So let's go inside the tabernacle now. I should have that picture. So here you have, and I've explained it already, but here you have the, this is the tent of meeting. This is the two different chambers. You have the holy place that has the menorah, the altar of incense, the table of showbread. And then behind the veil... There's the cherubim on the curtain. Behind the veil, you have the Ark of the Covenant. And this is what would represent where you know, God is. But right in front, right on the other side of the veil is this incense. So it's really the closest article there to the Ark of the Covenant. And these, the, this is where, the, again, the high priest would go in and do his work. So all of those articles, we've already looked at them, we've studied them briefly, but each one has a purpose. The table of showbread represents communion or fellowship with God, eating a meal with God. And then you have the lampstand. Again, 
The lampstand was the only article that had light. So you go in this room and remember the multiple layers of fabric. fabric. So it's completely dark in there. But the menorah would light the space. And Jesus is the what of the world? Again, it's just a representation of who Jesus is. Everything in the tabernacle pre-pictures Christ in some way. And now this altar of incense, it, it just speaks of worship and prayer and looking to God and praying to God. And it's seen like that in, uh, throughout the Bible. Look at verse 7. Aaron shall burn on this altar of incense, sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamp. So remember the priest, every day they come in and they trim the lamp, make sure there's oil in the menorah. And then he would go and he would make sure that there's incense in this altar of incense so it continually burns. It says, verse 8, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Verse 9, you shall not offer strange incense on it. And we'll, we'll look at that at the end of the chapter. There's a specific recipe for what is to be used. And nobody else has the recipe. Just the priests, and that's supposed to be burnt. And if you, if you burnt a strange fire, as we know, remember, by you, and they, they, they made their own incense, they did their own thing, and what happened to them? So here it is, don't do it. Do it the way I prescribe it, only this kind. Verse 10, and Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon the generations most holy to the Lord. So that happened yesterday when the high priest would take blood and he would go in. They do it in a different way because the temple's not in Jerusalem, but they still celebrate this and they still sacrifice you just don't read about it here, but you can find it. If you look hard enough, you'll find it. There are still Jews that sacrifice. And so the, the high priest, remember, there were two lamb. One of the lamb was the high priest would put his hands on it, representing the sins being transferred to the animal. Then the animal was slaughtered. The blood was taken here to this altar of incense, and he would grab on those horns with the blood. The other animal, he put his hands on it, it was scapegoat, remember it ran off, representing the sins of the people being taken away. And so that would, that would happen on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Those, the, this ceremony was happening, perpetual incense, and then once a year in verse 10, they make atonement for your generations. And again, we're living the Day of Atonement right now. So on the Day of Atonement, here in Exodus chapter 30, that's a national celebration, and it's perpetual, like it says, so that's why the Jews today are celebrating, not only in Israel, by the way, in Los Angeles, in San Bernardino, in Redlands, Jews. And I don't know if you've driven by a synagogue in the last two days, but you'll see the activities ramping up, again, because this is their high holy days. And again, verse 10, uh, making atonement once a year. Now, Josephus, there's an article. Josephus was the Jewish historian. He writes a, an article about the Day of Atonement during the time of Caesar Nero. And during the time of Caesar Nero, there were, listen to this, over 200, Josephus says 200,000 animals were slaughtered for the Day of Atonement. 200,000 animals. Can you imagine? This, again, this is the high holy day. So the priests and all the people, they're obeying the Lord and they're coming to the tabernacle. In this case, it would be the temple when Josephus was living, the temple in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered 200,000 
animals. That's a lot of blood. And in order to wash it off or to take care of it, you've got to have a big fire. And then you have to have a big bronze laver to wash your hands in or wash your body off, you know, as a priest. I mean, there's, that's what's going on here. This perpetual incense before the Lord for generations. And they did it every year. But every day they would make sure the menorah was lit and the incense was burning. That was going on ongoing every day. And the prayer, again, is what the incense represents. Now in verse 9, notice the priests are forbidden from, from offering anything but incense on the altar because I, nothing strange on there. So the altar was specifically for the incense, an aromatic incense that was burning uh, all the time. And again, it rep just represents worship and prayer. We should be worshiping and praising the Lord. We should be in constant prayer, the Bible says. Pray without ceasing. We're to be in constant prayer as God's people. Revelation 8 has a great description of, of uh, the altar, but it's in heaven. This is an interesting verse here in Revelation 8. Notice if you can read it along with me there. It says, then another angel having a golden censer came out and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Did you know that God saves up your prayer? And that one day in the book of Revelation, what does God do with a prayer besides hear it? Well, he answers it. He answers it. But it's so precious to God, he saves it. And here it's used, the prayers of the saints are used as incense because it pleases the Lord. Your prayer, my prayer, pleases the Lord. We have prayer meeting tomorrow night, men. Come and please the Lord. It's at 7 o'clock. The guys show up every Thursday night and they pray. It's, it's really a blessing. But that's what we're seeing here in, in this book of Revelation as well. The smoke and the incense with the prayers of the saints ascend before God from the angel's hand. Our prayers... Your prayers today, yesterday, tomorrow, the, all of those prayers will be gathered together and God will burn them as sweet incense. But I believe God answers our prayer and we're called to pray continually. Paul in Ephesians 6 says this, look at this verse here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're to pray for one another. Praying for one another is really important. Women pray on Monday, men in our church. I'm sure you pray all the time, but the women have a, a formal prayer meeting on Monday, the men on Thursday nights, and anyone can come to that, uh, to those prayer meetings. Men on Thursday, obviously, and women on, on Monday. You may recall in the New Testament that it was Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was the high priest. Elizabeth was barren. They were a sad couple because they had no children. That was one of the worst things that could happen to a couple or even a, a woman was to be barren in Israel. And uh, Elizabeth was praying and, and Zechariah was praying and it was Zechariah, the priest, high priest, who had gone into that first chamber in the tent of meeting. Remember, you, could only, you went in there every day and it was his time. Zechariah was chosen. It was his time. Different Priests were given the high priest duty, and they would go in and, and, and uh, trim the menorah and put more incense on the, the altar of incense. But it was Zechariah 
that he, when he went into the uh, 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 holy place there, he was told by an angel that God had heard his prayers. And I'll show you this verse real quick. It's in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. So it was that while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. So his lot was chosen. It was his turn to serve. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole, listen to this, the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So the community, they were involved. They were engaged. They knew that when the priest went in there to burn incense, that represented prayers going to God. So they... They knew what was going on in there, so they would surround this tabernacle, and they would come for an evening prayer. They came and they prayed as the priest went in and offered that incense to the Lord. They just felt they were really close to the Lord in our prayer this time, because we're going we're to go down to the tabernacle, when, or the temple in this case, when Zechariah goes in there, and while he's in there praying and doing his priestly work in the incense, we'll be outside praying as well. So this whole group of people. So that's where you get the whole idea of incense and the burning and the prayer. The whole It all interlinks in the Old Testament, again, in the New Testament, and for us as New Testament believers, in our prayer to be constant, continual. It's like incense to the Lord. God wants to hear our prayers. God saves our prayers. He answers our prayers. Prayer, again, is a powerful thing, and that's what this picture's here. Now, in verse 11 and 12, this is kind of an interesting uh, if you've never read this, this will kind of be interesting to you, but it's the ransom money. Notice verse 11, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom, pay this money for himself to the Lord when you number them. Why? So that there's no plague among them when you number them. Now the, the word for ransom, kofer in the Hebrew means to satisfy. So the, the money was, was specific to the counting of the people. When any nation counted the people, it was, it was a, a point of pride for the king, the ruler, to count the people and say, I, we have more than the neighboring community, so now we can go and make war on them. We have, I have power as the king. I'm going to count the people. So God didn't want his people to be counted. But when they were counted and when he gave them, they had to pay this ransom. And the ransom was like a tithe that went to pay for the temple, the tabernacle, the upkeep, the maintenance, and all the stuff that went on in there for the families. Very interesting. So don't count unless I tell you. And when you do count, you're going to pay a ransom that represents you and your number. You're going you're gonna to pay this ransom. And we'll talk a little bit more about the ransom again. But that's, that's kind of the idea there. Remember, David was told not to count the people, but he did. What happened? Remember? David counted the people in 2 Samuel 24, and a plague came. So he stepped out of the boundary, and instead of counting people and getting a ransom that paid for the... In other words, you're doing this for me, for God. He did it for himself, and to see how mighty his... his uh, uh, people were, and so uh, he was able then to, uh, then God brought a plague upon him for counting without the ransom. So the ransom money here in verse 11 and 12. Then verse 13, here's the detail of the payment. This is what everyone among you who are numbered shall give, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Uh, a shekel is 20 geras. 
The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, everyone including among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. And notice in verse 15, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves and you shall take the atonement money to the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. So there's, there it is. Everybody paid the same, rich or poor. The money was used to maintain the tabernacle of meeting, and it's a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So the, the ransom money here, everyone owes God, everyone's obligated. When there's a count that takes place, everybody participates. The males, 20 years and above, and they would represent their families there. The half shekel um, there, to spoken about in the Old Testament, is in the New Testament, uh, it's called the tithe or the temple tax. It's in Matthew chapter 17. Again, it's just a, a, a way for God to make sure that the people, the leaders, weren't uh, taking count to see how powerful they were. They were taking count and then using that ransom money to maintain the temple. It was all gods that belonged to him. Now, the bronze lobber here, verse 17, notice, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a Laver, that laver basin, you could pronounce it different things. You know, I kept, ha I kept the tennis player, Rod Laver, Laver, whatever it is, in my mind all day today. You, you could pronounce it either way, but all it is is a basin. There's no mention of the size. It could be big or it could be smaller, but it's this laver of bronze with its base, also a bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by the fire to the Lord. They shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and wash their feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout the generations. Again, no specific dimensions on this. It was just a place for them to wash. It was, it was this pool of cleansing. And, and uh, can we go back to that picture, Landon, that picture that shows the courtyard? And, and you see that. It's right there. So they would make their sacrifice here, and then they would wash here before they went into the temple of meeting. That was, that's the idea there. But it, it, the placement is important because it goes in between the, the dirty work, you know, the sacrifice, and then the holy place, the holy tent of meeting. Again, speaking of cleansing before you meet with God, cleansing before you come before the Lord. There's a picture of baptism in there. There's a picture of, of uh, the blood of Jesus washing us, and we're cleansed spiritually. There's a lot of different pictures there. But the idea in the Old Testament is expressed in Psalm 24. Notice this verse here, Psalm 24, verse 3. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has, what? Clean hands and a clean heart. So the, the, the meaning for you and I, we're cleansed from our sin. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the tabernacle, when you look at how it's laid out, there had to be a sacrifice of sin before you got to wash, and then you went through the next veil and got close to the Lord and met with him. 
That's the, the significance here in the Old Testament tabernacle. Paul says this in the New Testament in Ephesians 5. I like this verse. Speaking of marriage and, and, uh, and our eternal relationship with God as well in Ephesians 5, that he may sanctify us and cleanse her, that's the husband to the wife in context, with the washing of the water by the word. There's, there's a beautiful picture of cleansing in the family, cleansing in the marriage relationship with water, but it's by the word of God. The word of God sanctifies. The word of God gives direction. The word of God brings deliverance. The word of God does that work of cleansing. No amount of yelling or, or, uh, or nagging your husband or yelling at your wife will change anything. It's the word of God. You can find a scripture that will help you in any difficulty for your married life. You'll, you'll wash your partner, and God will bless your relationship. And again, here in Exodus chapter 30, it all begins here in the tabernacle with that, that altar of sacrifice that prepares the way for the priest to go wash and then go into and do this ministry of a mediator. Again, speaking of Christ, he's our mediator. And that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing here. And finally, the, the mediator would go into the, the holy place, do his work every day, and then once a year, Yom Kippur, he'd go all the way to the altar, the, the um, Ark of the Covenant that was inside behind the veil. Now, the next two sections here, they're, they're going to go pretty quickly here, but the fourth and fifth sections here, they deal with the incense and the aromatic oil. And this is really interesting. I think you'll understand it as we go through. But this stuff is very expensive. This is very costly. This, this is the most expensive and most beautifully smelling oil and incense that, that is going to be made. And the recipe is completely forbidden. No one can use this but just in the Holy of Holies. Notice the anointing oil here in verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment, compounded according to the art of the perfumer. So there's another artisan involved in this, putting these scents together and the cinnamon and the oil, mixing it just right. And this, this recipe here, it shall be a holy anointing oil. Verse 26, with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting. Notice what they do with the oil. They anoint the whole tabernacle with it. And the ark of the testimony, the table, and all the utensils, the lampstand, and all its utensils, the altar of incense. They're anointing everything. This oil is splashing on everything. The altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the laver in its base. You shall consecrate them and they shall be made most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me. They even get splashed with this beautiful smelling aromatic perfume that's made by the artist, uh, this art of the perfumer. Everybody's getting splattered. Even the priest has got this stuff 
uh, he's anointed. In verse 31, and you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. Why? Because it's holy, and it's going to be holy to you. Whoever compounds anything like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off. That's a euphemism for death, cut off from his people. Now, there's a very practical side to this anointing oil. I want you just to go back to that picture. Can you go back to that picture of the courtyard again, Landon? Making him work out. Okay, now, I gave you an account from Josephus the historian, 200,000 bulls. But let's say 100, just for the sake of 100 bulls are being sacrificed right there in that spot. There's flesh being burnt. There's blood all over the place. There's probably animal feces everywhere. I mean, I'm just being honest. Can you imagine what that smelled like in there? Can you, I mean, think about that. Think about how stinky it was in there. So now God has made this oil. Where does the oil go? It goes on the temple, goes on the outside of the tent, goes on the priests, goes on every utensil. They would even, when it got real smelly, they probably brought it out and splashed it on the side of that altar. It was a way to kind of not disinfect, but take away that horrible smell that was going on, this, this burning animal flesh that, that was happening there. And so obviously this oil just counteracted the smell of all of those things that we're doing. And I'm imagining, since I kind of do priestly ministry, although I don't uh, butcher animals for sacrifice, I butcher them to eat, um, but... But if I was a priest in this time, I'd be wanting that splash of oil. I'd be looking for, okay, can I have some more of that? You know, splash it on my garment because I stink. I mean, think about that. And this, this oil that was made, just specially, only for this purpose, that God made it intentionally for the priest, for the tent, for the furniture. And it all set aside these article utensils and the priests and their garments for God's use and purpose. And it gave him a, a beautiful smell. I, it makes me think of the New Testament believer. There are times that we walk through the world and we work in a, maybe a hostile environment. Maybe you work construction or you're out in the, I don't know, you don't have to be a construction worker anymore for everybody to say the stuff they say. But maybe your environment's pretty nasty. Maybe it's really bad. And, and when you come home from work or you come to church after a week working there, you just feel dirty. You want to be splashed with some holy oil. And I don't have any of that. I can't do that. But, but when I read the word, I feel refreshed. When I spend time in prayer, the, the world kind of in its stink goes away. We anoint ourselves with oil when we spend time with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is that oil. The word of God that time and prayer, all of those things kind of represent that in a way too. And notice here in verse 34, the incense now, the incense, it's special. Again, same principles as the anointing oil. It's made special only for this one purpose, and, it, and it's very sweet. Both of these scents would have been very, very sweet. Verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stay tea, 
oincha, galbum, and pure frankincense with the sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer. And then they salted it, pure and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I meet with you. And it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves. According to its composition, it shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes anything like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. Again, God is, is making these unique aromatic incense and oils. The two purposes would be to counteract the, the horrible smell that's happening there in, in that tabernacle, and then to anoint the, the articles, the utensils, the priests for this holy work, setting them apart for this specific work that God's called them to do. And again, in the New Testament, we have the oil represented in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the truth. Did you know the Holy Spirit, a person, not a it, not a floating orb, the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit was the one that inspired the writing of the Word. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. You have, you're right, reading what the Holy Spirit inspired men to write. It was the Holy Spirit that wrote the the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit that, that we're anointed by as, as New Testament believers. When we um, are uh, born again, when we uh, uh, come to Christ, there are many things that happen upon conversion, rebirth, regeneration. There are many things that happen. One of the things that happens is, is you are not only placed in Christ, that's your spiritual position, but you're also cleansed by the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're placed, or the term baptized, immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that work in your life, and then the Holy Spirit gives you gifts for the body of Christ, severally as he wills, the New Testament says. So the Holy Spirit has a great work in our life, all of it to set us apart as a sweet-smelling incense to the Lord that our service might please God. I don't operate on my own. I pray for the worship team. I did tonight again. You know, Lord, they have talents and abilities, but Lord, may they let the flesh go and be filled with your Holy Spirit now to do this ministry for you. It's the Holy Spirit that works through us that way. And, and as Christians, we put off a fragrance and you might say, well, I did Pastor Lee tonight because I had a burrito, but that's not what I'm talking about here. <laughs> what I'm talking about is you are so in love with the Lord and you love his word and you're walking with the Lord so closely that others notice something different about that person. They have a beauty, a fragrance, a sweet smell around them. Here's what Paul the Apostle says. I'm going to close with this verse. Notice it behind me on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. How do we impact the world? How do others know that we love the Lord and, 
there's this fragrance that just kind of flows from the life of the believer. If you really love the Lord, if you're really walking with Jesus, there's going to be this diffusing a fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul goes on to say, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Isn't that beautiful? Your life as a believer is to have a sweet aroma, a sweet, beautiful effect on the people around you. Does it? That's the question. When other people see you or are exposed to you or when you're around them and talking and interacting, do they recognize that you have a sweet spirit? It's the Lord. It's God. Do you have joy? Do you have uh, faith? Do you have the scripture to share? The sweet fragrance, the sweet fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. It's a beautiful picture. We see it in the old. We see it in the new. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. What a blessing, Lord, to look at these Old Testament passages. And we read them sometimes and gloss over their meaning. Forgive us. And tonight, Lord, as we are reading this particular section in this Old Testament book about the tabernacle that you designed, we are in awe, Lord, because we see the pictures of Christ. And in this altar of incense, the continual offering of prayer. Lord, may we be men and women that pray, that we pray for one another. We pray for the fellowship we're in, that we pray for our loved ones and those in need, that we pray for our nation and kings as we're called to, that we are a people of prayer, that this church would be a place and a house of prayer with prayer meetings, prayer before worship and prayer before uh, Bible study and, and the youth and the children's ministry and the sanctuary. Lord, may this be a house of prayer. And Lord, may our lives have the fragrance and sweetness of the, the aroma of Christ. May other people be influenced from uh, our love for you, Lord Jesus, our commitment to God and the word, our separated life from, from the mundane and normal because we're holy, we're to be separated to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a great influence for Jesus Christ on the world around us. May we be sweet-smelling, Lord, unto you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand together.